So if I were to start you today with three questions from the New Testament, some of those questions are going to be quote unquote easy, some a little more difficult, and some really are. So let's start. Hey, Eliana. So let's start with an easy one. If I were to say, who is Jesus' mother? I suspect everyone could get it. Eliana, do you know? <laughs> Did she say Mary? So everybody but Eliana. Eliana didn't get it right, but that's okay. All right. I like having the, the, the school teacher thing. I like people raising their hands. You know, even if you get it wrong, it still looks good. So if I were to say, who is Jesus' mother? We would say Mary. And you'd say, Daniel, that's an easy question. That's fine. Alright, so then I'll ask you a second question. And I would say, how many missionary journeys did Paul go on? And some of you right now know that answer, but some of you are like, oh, okay, okay, it's in Acts, and I would need to look. Okay, let me look. Or if you're really smart, you'd say, let me look at that map in the back of the book, and it shows where it is, and the answer would be four. And some of you already knew that, but some of you didn't know it and needed to be reminded of it. This is a medium-level question. But if I were to say, why does the Bible refer to Jesus as the Son of Man? That's a harder question. Because the answer is not Mary, and the answer is not four. But rather, the answer is a complicated and perhaps unknowable type thing. The word enigma comes to mind right there. It's a hard question to answer because we don't really see in the Bible where that answer comes from. There's really no clear definition to what it is. So today what we're going to look at is why is Jesus called the Son of Man? And perhaps we can get close to the answer. Now, for one thing, there's a dual nature in Jesus that we can't really understand, right? If there's a dual nature, the word dual means two, right? And we probably know what the dual nature of Christ is, right? He was God's son. He was part of the Godhead. We see that in the Bible. But then he was also a human being on earth. Well, I think every religious group that exists, and it doesn't even have to be Christian, can have some sort of grasp of a God, an unknowable perhaps being that exists out there. So I get that. And then all of us can relate to that human part because we see humans every day. And we see good humans and we see not good humans and we see people that are in between. But it's really hard for us to sort of put those hands together and say, this person is human. I get that. This person is a God. I get that. But there's a duality there. It's two different things put into one. You know why that's hard to grasp? Because we have never experienced that. We can't experience that. 
And before us, everybody that existed except for that 30-ish year period that Jesus was around couldn't grasp it either. In fact, you could argue, and we'll look at this here in a second, we talk about the Gnostics, that people even then didn't grasp it. You, can, you have to read too far into the Gospels to realize that it wasn't really clicking for people then as well. It's a complicated thing. Now, when we read about this, this reconciliation of how Jesus has this dual nature, well, if we look at the people in the first century, in the Gnostics that I referred to, uh, it says they believed flesh was intrinsically evil and thus God could not come in the flesh. Okay, well, that's one group's line of thinking. And I kind of get that. Because even today, it's hard for us to comprehend, okay, God appearing in human flesh. Okay, well now, let's go to today. So, okay, we've had 2,000-ish years to be able to sort through this and figure it out. Well, even today, the best answer that most people can give is something along the lines of what we say right here. Well, Jesus was a really good man, and he taught really good lessons. And people were right for following him because there were a lot of people that, could, that shouldn't have been followed. But even today, people have a hard time grasping that Jesus was God's son. And I get that because it is something unique that has never existed prior to or after. This dual nature that we reference right here. Today, we're going to look at what this means. What is this dual nature? And we're going to talk a little bit about this Son of Man. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20, you've probably seen this verse. You may read it. You may want to turn there as well. We're going to jump around to a few different places. But it says, Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And that is Jesus talking about himself. But why does he refer to himself that way. The term Son of Man appears in the New Testament 85 times. 81 of those times is a self-reference made by Jesus. 81 times. Now, I think it would be more self-designation rather than self-reference. But you get the idea, right? 81 times he refers to himself as that. So that's a fairly common reference, Okay. I would refer to myself as Daniel, and you would refer to yourself as whatever your name would be. And you might have some other names. You might have a nickname uh, that family members call you, or you might have a nickname that coworkers would refer to you as. But there might be a name that nobody knows, and your grandma called you this when you were three years old, but she's been dead for 80 years, and nobody would know it. That name doesn't get mentioned much. But the term Son of Man is used by Jesus himself 81 times. That's a lot. That's a lot. And so it, it, served, it stands to reason then that this would be a somewhat important thing for us to learn about. The problem is neither Jesus nor his apostles at any point ever explain what Son of Man Things. So if we're going to determine it, we have to do what we always have to do when it comes to Scripture. Sometimes the things that we don't always like to do and people in the world may not like to do either. But we have to take this and examine it through 
context. You know what context is in reading and studying? It's the hardest thing that we have in school to get kids from being readers to good readers is to understand in context. They've got to learn the words when they're young, and then they've got to learn how do you put it together, and then you've got to take the context, what's being told here. Adults struggle with this. So in this example, let's look at a little bit of context here for the use of this term. All right, so first of all, it is sometimes used to designate men. In Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19, we read, God is not a man that he should be, that he should be nor a son of man that he should repent. Now he has said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? That's Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19. It was used a little later by God, speaking with Ezekiel, chapter 37, verse 3. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And so I answered, O Lord God, you know. We talked about that story, the valley of the dry bones in Ezekiel a few weeks ago on Wednesday night. It's used to designate the Messiah. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Those are all three Old Testament uses of the word Son of Man. But it also connects us with the humanity of Jesus. We'll get to this a little more in just a second, but a couple of things right here that makes Jesus very, very human. One, he had a mother. I asked you that question a minute ago. I can ask every person in this room who your mother is, and you could all tell me the name of that person. Maybe living, maybe deceased, but you can tell me who that was. He took on the form of a man. We talked about that just a second ago. And he possessed human characteristics. We use this term son of man in a few different cases. So let's split it into two parts. If we're going to talk about duality, let's split it into two things. First of all, let's talk about the God part, and then we'll talk about the human part. The God part here, the deity of Jesus. I put the word deity up here because that is a God with divine status. Any religious group that you read about will have a deity of some kind. And we see that term used right here. But the deity of Jesus. In the beginning was the word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. So we see that God, in the beginning, the Word was with God. The Word is a term that we use to describe Jesus. Okay? And Jesus was there with God from the beginning. Colossians chapter 2, and verse 9 says that He was the fullness of the Godhead. God had three things. Jesus... God and the Holy Spirit. In Mark chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, we read that Jesus had the ability to forgive sins. And he could forgive sins that which only God had the authority to do. See, I have the ability to forgive you. You have the ability to forgive me. But I don't have the ability to forgive your sins. I can hear what you say in your apology or your I'm sorry 
And I can either choose to say, I accept that and I will not worry about that anymore. Or I can say, I don't believe you and I will still be mad. But I don't have the ability to save you from heaven or to, to, to save you from hell. So Jesus, we read there in Mark, had that ability as part of the Godhead. In John chapter 20 and verse 28, we talked about this one time a while back. But Thomas calls him, my Lord and my God, after he had stuck his fingers into Jesus' hand. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 says, He existed in the form of God. This is a number of verses here to establish the deity of Jesus. All of these things, except for the first thing I have listed, are New Testament scriptural verses. So it's made clear to us that Jesus and God were together, but then it'll be separate. So then let's go to the humanity part. Because if there is a deity part, we can all understand it. But like we said, there's a humanity part that exists as well. So let's talk about that for just a second. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7, we read that Jesus made of himself no reputation. Meaning that Jesus didn't go around as anything. I mean, I guess he, he talked about who he was, but Jesus didn't put a crown on his head and gold and this big fancy coat and say, look at me, look at me. Where do we see Jesus always in the Bible? He's always with the people that you would say, nobody that ranks high should be with them, right? He's always with that group of people. You know who finds themselves in those positions quite often? Me and you. You know why? Because we are those people. We are those people that sin and do wrong and make mistakes. And we would hope that if Jesus was walking around here on earth, that he would walk around with us right now. A lot of people build themselves up and they say, I'm this or I'm that and I'm better and I'm holier than thou. That's the word you want to use. And if Jesus was here, he would walk around with me. But none of you. That's not what we see in the New Testament. Jesus had the glory, had the gold, had the silver, had the metals that you might want to call, had heaven with no sin, and had life as good as it could possibly be. He had all of that and gave it up. You wouldn't do it. I probably wouldn't either. He left the, the riches of heaven but he didn't cease to be what he already was. Philippians chapter 2, we see this a lot. I've already referenced this verse three times, I think. But in verse 7 and 8, he took upon himself the form of a bond servant, the likeness of men and the appearance of men. Look, had you been the Son of God and been able to come to earth, if you had to leave all of that behind, it would make sense that you would say, well, I'm prepared to go, but I'd kind of like to be the king when I get there. <clears throat> or if I can't be the king, I'd at least like to be somebody of significance. At no point would we have said, I would like to be the form of a bond servant. 
That's about as low ranking as you could get. Jesus said, that's what I am going to be. We read that in Philippians chapter 2. He said, I will be the form of a bond servant. The Word become flesh. We said that just a second ago. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 3, Jesus was born of the flesh. We'll talk about that a little bit more in just a moment. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5, we read that He had a body prepared for Him. He had a body of flesh and blood in Hebrews chapter 2, Luke chapter 24. And God was manifested in the flesh. We have four verses right there from the New Testament that shows me that had Jesus been sitting in this room right now, He would have looked a whole lot like every one of you. He might have been taller than some of you, but shorter than the others. He might have weighed less than some of us, but He might have been heavier than others. But when I look at Ben and see a man, and I look at Marilyn and see a woman, had Jesus been here with us, I would have looked at Jesus on the first row or the fifth row or the back row and said, a human man. Jesus had the humanity just as us. But that humanity and that deity came together in one difference that we can't relate to, and that's with the virgin birth. Because every one of us, I asked you a moment ago who your mother was, and you can tell me. And a lot of you can tell me the day and the year and the location in which you were born. For many of us, maybe all of us, there's a document that shows that. Jesus was born, I asked you that a minute ago, and the answer was Mary. Jesus was born, we know who his mother was, but his birth was different, we see in Luke right there, compared to anyone else. That's humanity and deity intermingling. You're over here. He is here. Characteristics of humanity. Well, what are characteristics? Characteristics are the thing that makes us who we are, right? Makes us human as it were. And all of us have good characteristics and we have a few bad characteristics. Everyone who's ever lived has. Well, Jesus has some characteristics here as well. And they're all up here on the screen. It may be a little small, and I apologize for that if that's the case. But first of all, Jesus was subject to the certain kind of laws that exist with human development. I look here in this room, and I see kids that are going through development. Will played a football game yesterday. The next football game that Will will probably play in will be as a middle school football player. That's a complicated thing to think about, right? Because 10 minutes ago, Will was brought home from the hospital. Eliana told me just a minute ago that she was nine, and in December, Maxon's going to be seven. And I remember when neither one of them could talk. And Cambry is two going on about 25, I think. That's a little different. She may not be the best example for the development right here. But Jesus, just like any other human, he grew. Jesus went from a baby to an adult. Jesus was subject to his parents. Perhaps the most famous story of Jesus as a child was when Jesus wasn't with his mom and dad. You remember the story, right? They took off and they left and he was back at the temple teaching and preaching. And I'm sure that when they went back and got him, the first thing what they thought was, thank goodness he's okay, right? 
And the second thing was, all right, this kid, you know, because we probably all had that same kind of thought as well. But he was talking with the elders. But he was a kid. And the elders there at the temple were astonished. And why were they astonished? Because he's a 12-year-old talking about things that 40-year-olds talked about. They were wowed by that. But I've seen some kids that are really smart too. Jesus was subject to this type of growth. He possessed human attributes and hunger. Matthew chapter 4, verse 2. Jesus goes out and fasts in the wilderness. Jesus was God's son. I feel like, I'm making this up, but I feel like there was probably something that could make that God could have just made him full right there. I don't know how that would have worked. It probably could. But Jesus came to earth to live as a human. He experienced hunger. We see that fasting in the wilderness. Now here's the difference. When the devil comes approaching him and he offers him to do this or to do that, Jesus says, no. We'd have took every meal they could offer. It's a difference. Yes. Jesus experienced weariness. In John chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, he stops at a well and he ends up speaking to a woman, but he said that he stopped to get a drink of water because he was weary. I don't know if God's ever weary in heaven, but Jesus was on earth as a human. He was weary. I can relate to that. I could use a drink of water right now. Jesus was sleeping. Kind of sounds like I'm rattling off the seven wars right now, but in Luke chapter 8 and verse 23, we read about them, the, 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 the people were in the boat and the storm was hidden and the boat was rocking in the waves and where was Jesus? He was asleep. Probably because he was tired. Or maybe he was the kind of person who didn't handle being in a boat well and wanted to sleep instead of having experience. Oh, he was sleepy in that example. Luke chapter 22 and verse 44, Jesus experienced agony. This is in the garden right before Jesus is about to be put to death. And the Bible describes Jesus as sweating blood. I don't know how to relate to that. I've been nervous. I've sweated. I've had agony. Whatever you want to say. But Jesus was experiencing this so much that he was sweating blood. Jesus had compassion. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, the Bible says that Jesus was moved by the multitudes. That means that people, humanity, moved the Son of God. That takes compassion to be moved. Compassion is an important aspect of anything in life. If you can't be moved by something, you may be very hard to do as well at that thing as you would like to do. Your interest in your job, your job relates directly to the compassion. Right? And we lose a little of that compassion sometimes for our job. And then it's about time to either quit the job or retire, right? Maybe get a different job somewhere along the way. But that compassion, that ability for this to say, man, this is why I do this. I think Jesus had that in chapter 9, verse 36. So our own trouble. This is the Matthew version of what we just talked about in Luke. But Matthew, in Matthew chapter 26, verses 37 and 38, Jesus is praying in the garden. There are 
problems about to face Jesus. There is sorrow for who's about to betray him. How many of you have ever said a prayer because you were sorrowed or because you were troubled? Humanity of Jesus. John chapter 11, verse 35. We all know this is the shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? Jesus wept because Lazarus had died. Lazarus was his friend. Lazarus' sisters were Jesus' friend. Jesus was troubled by the fact that something bad had happened to people that were close to him. Can you relate? Have you shed tears over the death of someone? Every one of us have, right? But here's the difference in me and you and Jesus. We were in John chapter 8, verse 46, so he was human, okay? We've invented that. We've established that. He was sinless, and that's where you differ from him. That's where I differ from him. Though he was human, he was sinless. Because if you look down this side right here, a lot of us, when we hit each one of these bullet points, will sin when we hit them. Jesus was different. Jesus did. Though he was human, he was sinless. Okay, well, he's God's son, and God was protecting him, and God wasn't going to let That's what the Bible says. New Testament says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 5, he was tempted in all points just like me and you. That's different, right? No, it's the same. He was exact. God wasn't protecting him from these kinds of things that happened. You can't say, well, Jesus was different from me because God had the hedge built around him as we read the Old Testament. It wasn't like that. He faced the same things that you and I faced. He was tempted. But he didn't say So what happens then? Well, first of all, it's not his day. And here's why, I would argue. If, it was, if he had had these sort of godly protections, we couldn't relate to him. We'd have a hard time being able to relate to him. What kind of example is he if he says, well, he didn't, have to, he didn't really have to experience this because God was sort of guarding him. We couldn't relate, right? But Jesus came to earth to live as a man just like me and you. But he resisted Satan. And he was made perfect through his suffering. So all this trouble that he went through actually perfected him. So let's look at those last three points real quick. I can relate to Jesus because I go through the same things today that he went through himself. I can relate to Jesus because Jesus resisted Satan and I have to try and do that every day. And I would like to think that through the suffering that I might have to go to, go through, that I could be made perfect or as close to it as possible. I can't ever be perfect and you can't be perfect either. But we can be perfected. I don't think perfected and perfect is the same thing. Ben's blacksmith work requires him to aim toward perfection. Constantly perfecting whatever it is that he's making. I don't think any of them will ever be perfect, will they? No blacksmith who's ever done it has been perfect. 
but it's being perfected. It's getting better. I would like to see what Ben made most recently and compare it to the first thing Ben made. But there's a difference, right? As Christians, can we relate? So we're going to face these problems, but we have to realize Jesus faced them. We also have to realize that we have to approach it the same way that Jesus approached it as well. That this is here for us. We are human just as Jesus lived on earth as a human. And we have to attempt to perfect ourselves as well. So let's go to the conclusion. First of all, I talked for 25 minutes and I didn't answer the original question. You know why? I'm not sure that I can answer the question. Because I don't know that I've ever seen an adequate answer to why Jesus is called the Son of Man. I've seen answers that are okay, but I don't know that I've ever seen an adequate answer. And I can't point you to a scripture that says, this is what this means. But I do know that Jesus knew how to be the Son of God and how to live as a man on earth. He can relate to both. And I don't know if I can truly tell you what son of man means. But I know that I can look at the person the Bible describes as the son of man, as my model, as my example, as my reason for following. Because whatever the son of man is, was, is a pretty good example for me and you to experience. We like answers to questions. Marriage, Jesus' mother. Paul went on four missionary journeys. But sometimes it's hard to get a real good answer. We're human. It's hard to get good answers to human problems. You know who knew that? Jesus. Because the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. He came to experience the same type of life that we had to experience as well. Jesus knows what we're going through. And so we may not be able to say what the Son of Man is, but we can say who the Son of Man is. And in my opinion, that's a pretty good start for what we want to be as Christians. there's anything that we can do for you today, any way possible that we can make things better for you, we invite you to come while we stand and say. It won't be very long till this short life shall end. It won't be.